So welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man that has said on more than one occasion about me as co-host, and I quote, I'm sick of myself when I look at you, something that's beautiful and true. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's been releasing fantastic records for 30 plus years, including one of my favorite records of all time, Girlfriend. We'll, we'll probably talk about that. He's released another record in January 2021 called Cat's Paw. Please welcome to the podcast, Matthew Sweet. Yay. Yay. Hey, guys. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Good, good. All right. Well, premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all-important question. So I'm going to start with Wayne. What t-shirt are you wearing? You know, I don't have any Beatles shirts, which I, I dug around for. And I actually have a Liver, Liverpool F, FC shirt, and I wore it already. So I actually am wearing a – It's McMenamins is a company around here that re they basically repurpose – old abandoned buildings into into uh, hotels and bars and music venues. And this one is for the Kennedy School, which was a elementary school built in Northeast Portland in 1915. And they've uh, remodeled it into a bar and a hotel. And, and they have a music venue that's probably vacant right now. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah unfortunately, pro- probably is. All right. How about you, Matthew? What T-shirt are you wearing? Uh, I am wearing a long-sleeved all-black T-shirt with nothing written on it. <laughs> um, I, you know, I have worn a lot of T-shirts with stuff on them in my day, but uh, it, it seems like I don't know. In my uh, older age, I just am always wearing plain black these days. You, you're not the first guest that we've had on that says I, I just wear regular gray t-shirts or regular black t-shirts and that's it yeah rick brantley said he didn't own a shirt with any writing on it but i see i've had a lot of cool shirts you know i've i've worn mellotron shirts and um all kinds of different different things that would be cool for tonight but but black black on black it is all right so do you ha- do you have like if you look back at all of the shirts that you've worn do you have one that you just go that was my favorite <laughs> Well I had uh I had a shirt that I wore kind of during the girlfriend time that was a black t-shirt I'm pretty sure I got it in Japan I'm not 100% sure of that but um it's in fact, I guess, I guess I have to have had it before I went to Japan, um, because it I wore it in the girlfriend uh, photo session, and it's okay. this this uh, it's a black t shirt with a what looks kind of like a skull on it, and it's in in those kind of super wide angle photos that are in the girlfriend artwork, and it actually comes from uh, an anime. Uh, a Japanese uh, animated movie that uh, I, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure what the title of it is. I'm remembering a lot about it except that. 
But anyone who <laughs> looked in their girlfriend booklet will see what I'm talking about. All right. I'm going to dig that out then tonight. All right. It was, you know, I always wished I had like a whole lot of them. You know, I only had the one and it didn't grow bigger over time. And so <laughs> I can't still be wearing it, you know, um, and I never found, you know, bigger sizes. If you look for stuff like that in Japan, it's even worse. You know, like a large is like a small there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I still have kept a few of my favorite shirts from back in the day. Like I have a Neil Young T-shirt um, from from the Bridge School. That's, and I don't that's even great. remember. Yeah, and and I've kept it around even though I can't fit in it anymore. Like I don't know if that's I'm I'm just like taunting myself, where I'm like one day I'm going to be able to fit in this again. You know, now that you say that, I I wonder if I still have somewhere the shirt i'm talking about i can't imagine throwing it away so maybe i do i would need my wife to ask about this and she's uh, upstairs so we're on our own yep all right um so my t-shirt is i'm wearing my t-shirt from the alarm the alarm all right i don't know how that fits into the beatles or matthew sweet but that's what i'm yeah. that's what i'm well they're kind of power poppy sort of thing yeah, I, th- I think so. All right. Um, well, I got to get the fanboy stuff out of the way first. So, so I mentioned on the socials uh, a couple weeks ago that "Girlfriend" was probably my favorite record of yours, and I had a ton of people chime in that they essentially said "100 percent fun" is their favorite of yours. And since mm. some guests have called Wayne and I heartless bastards because we make them rank the songs on their favorite albums. <laughs> so I'm asking, do you have a favorite record of that you've made of my own of your own? Oh, gosh, I don't know if I would I just don't think I'd want to pick. I might have to go through and and really listen to decide. I will say yeah. that having uh, played a lot, a whole, whole lot of shows uh, and and uh, gotten to know my fans very well over the years that a girlfriend would win, I think as the favorite album. I mean, it's really, I think that that comes down to what age you were um, yeah. because a hundred percent fun was a little bit like a second girlfriend where I sort of, you know, got good radio play and sales were a little better than altered beast. And so it kind of, uh, became, you know, the other girlfriend for people that maybe were a little, little bit younger. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The other fanboy question is, it's probably not even a question. Um, it's more of a statement. I still don't know how, under, how understand how the thorns wasn't a bigger hit for you. <laughs> well, the funny thing about the thorns is that we really sold quite a few records. You know, we had a video that was on uh, CMT. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think we sold maybe around 170, 180,000 records. Okay. Which for, you know, after the turn of the century is, is pretty good. And in fact, uh, if it was now, we probably would have, you know, 
been in the top 10 or something like with that many records. It's really, really, really changed. Um, But uh, yeah, you know, um, we, we had uh, an option with uh, the label to make a second record and um, we decided we really wanted to produce it ourselves and they wouldn't agree to let it produce let us produce it. And so, uh, it just was stalemate and their, their, uh, option ran out and we were free. So it became a, just kind of a one-off thing. But, you know, I do meet a lot of people that like that record. It was really a kind of a challenge for me to kind of get my head around. It happened very quickly. I went down into Hollywood, my, my manager called me one day and said, will you go down and write a song with uh, Sean and Pete? And uh, I was like, you know, and that's the kind of thing I would be afraid to do, you know, anything where there's other people of any kind. Right. Right. Um, and uh, I went down there and we wrote this song and it, I, I want to say it was like maybe on a Friday and then, like, literally the Monday after that, they offered for us to make a record and, you know, begged us to have a group name and and do this record with three-part harmony, which is how we wrote the song, which was called uh, I Can't Remember. I guess I can remember it because, which, because which that was the I single, right? Remember. And that was the single. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of... I think I was sort of mean and quite bipolar. I was just on the cusp of being treated for my bipolar disorder, but just not quite, you know, I was probably a year, a year away from it. Um, And, uh, and then it was kind of like by the end of it, I was sort of really into it. And the other guys were sort of disillusioned a lot of it because we worked really hard touring and promoting the record and the label wouldn't give us money. They, Uh, we got very small advances for it and none of us could live on like what (laughs) we got from it. You know, that was one of the reasons we wanted to produce it was just so we could make some more money from it. But when I look back, I think, you know, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of records. Yeah. Do you keep in touch with Pete? Um, both Sean and Pete, I very occasionally will be in touch with. Um, I haven't corresponded with Pete in a little while. Um, Sean has also probably been a couple of years. Um, but you know, I love those guys uh, and, uh, and I really never, never didn't, you know, love them. It was really a special experience to do the harmony singing together. That's what made me come around and really dig it because I sang, you know, the high note. And when we toured, our big touring was really opening for the Dixie Chicks in in England and Europe and down in Australia. And uh, doing the three part harmony was just kind of magical live. You know, it had this thing about it. And we got to play two nights at Royal Albert Hall and it just sounded so amazing you know we had one song where we uh i played a a baritone ukulele and and then we 
um, we just sang with it. And just the sound of that, like in that hall, especially just had a magical thing about it. So I think of the time fondly, but it really, you know, went by pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. We've, I've tried a couple of times to get Pete on the, the podcast. He's been super nice in our correspondence, but he's declined because of uh, his health issues that he's had over the last several years. So. What sort of, do you know the nature of those or? I want to say chronic fatigue but maybe vertigo vertigo oh my god yeah. yeah that's terrible i wonder if it's from uh you know ear stuff from playing really loud because i heard you know he was a when i met him he was more of a, a rocker uh, well he was no he was uh had become less of a wild man like everything oh, i heard okay. about him before then was like he was just crazy loud drinking crazy loudness and so uh i immediately i wonder if that's related to his hearing because i know that can affect maybe him. yeah i've i had i've had the opportunity to see him with the full band a couple times uh he opened for petty on wild on the wildflowers i know i know i was so jealous our friend uh brendan o'brien you know got got him that gig. Well, I don't know if he did specifically, but that was when he was, they were working yeah. together and I felt quite jealous. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I saw him open for Cheryl Crow on her second tour as well. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 All right, cool. Well, we did an episode a few months ago with Aaron Lee Tazjan. He picked your record altered beast. And now I think um, I can speak for, both Wayne and, and, and me that we absolutely love that record. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, that's cool. But, but I, yeah, do have, I do have a question for you about the intro to ugly truth rock, the, the snippet from Caligula. So we were all Caligula wondering, thing. yeah, we were all wondering what that was all about. You know, it really came from, uh, uh, from, uh, what was, I think of it as being an old Fleetwood Mac routine, but, but then, you know, really it just hadn't even been that long since Fleetwood Mac. I worked on, on, uh, that record with a guy named Richard Dashett, who was really integral guy with the, you know, the big Lindsay Stevie albums. And he, uh, did their live sound and was really, really, really tight with them, you know, during the heyday. And I think he started out as like an assistant in this, maybe the studio where Lindsay came in one night and they heard him playing, you know, in the, the other room, uh, its name again, escapes me. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, so Dashit and Mick Fleetwood would do these sort of, pantomimes where they would pretend to like be having like a sword battle and they would, one of them would kill the other one. And then they would do like a really elaborate dying sequence or something. They, they were, they knew how to have fun in the studio. And, uh, because, uh, Mick came and played on a couple tracks on altered beast. I was, uh, even able to see them kind of doing 
these routines. But Dashit really liked, they just thought the Caligula thing was really funny. It was just a thing where, like, we just all laughed really hard about, you know, the hubris kind of. And, uh, uh, you know, I had never seen the movie at that time. And, you know, eventually I saw it. I can't remember if it was with Dashit or, or after the fact. But that's what it came from. And we just thought that uh, Malcolm McDowell stuff was... You know, Altered Beast was kind of like a record where I felt like I was Jekyll Hyde a little bit. And uh, I guess it just kind of represented the Hyde side of, of Altered Beast. And it was just, uh, it was really just an inside joke. And, you know, everybody didn't get it. I'm sure somebody <laughs> tried to get me to not put it on it. Um, but uh, but it's on there. And that that's why. Perfect. Sometimes the inside jokes are the best jokes, though. Well, they are if you're one of the insiders. Right. Yeah. For the rest of us listening to the record, we're like, it's like, Matthew, what? Matthew what are you trying to do here? What's this mean? <laughs> I'm a god now. That was yeah. so great. Uh, <laughs> and he's carrying around, you know, his dead sister. Yeah. Like he can't let go. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. If you. If you knew Dash, if you saw where it came from, it would all make sense. There you go. All right. Let's talk new album. So Cat's Paw. Um, so we're recording this night before it gets released. So one press release I read mentioned that this album is your first truly solo recording. So I assume that means you played all the instruments on this. Well, that's not 100% true. Okay. My friend Rick Mank does play the drums on it. Okay. So it really the big difference is I played the lead guitar as well as all the other things I would usually do. So okay. it's just Rick and I on the album, and I really haven't, uh, really haven't ever made an album where I'm I'm the only one who played lead. So that made it kind of a a fresh thing for me. I thought it would be something interesting to try, and maybe would kind of make the record a little different than all the other ones. And so uh, I gave it a shot and I had a really great time doing it. And uh, people sometimes mistake it and think that one of the great guitar players might be playing it. So that's good. That's a compliment, right? Because you've played with some pretty damn good guitarists over the years. Yeah, you know, I've, I've talked about this. I've done, you know, quite a few interviews in advance of, of Cat's Paw's release. And uh, I think that the consensus with me and everybody I've sort of talked to so far is that maybe Richard Lloyd is the biggest influence. Um, I think that there's just a way he approached his playing that I really liked and uh, just something about the kind of angularity and attack of, of his playing mixed with a really melodic sort of ear. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, I never learned to play anything from him. And certainly I'm sure I, by osmosis, absorbed stuff from, you know, Robert Quine and, Ivan Julian and, you know, all, all the guys that have played with me are great, you know, in my opinion. So, um, you know, I, 
I didn't know like if I'd really be able to do it. And then it sort of popped out and, and worked. So I was uh, pleasantly surprised. And now I kind of feel like, you know, the world is my oyster or whatever. Yes. I, I could, I could, <laughs> I could play lead again if I wanted. And I've always kind of felt like, and it, and I think this definitely is, is true with your under the covers records that you did. I've always kind of felt like, you're one of the these guys that picks up on all of these different influences of of music that you've been around and you make it your own. And so I I would assume that being around, you know, those fantastic guitarists that you just mentioned, um that if you're if you're smart enough, you're going to pick up on some of the 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 techniques, the way that they go about their business, and I think that that's that's probably you know, resonates in the music that you make. Helps. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I always wish I'd paid more attention than I did sort of, you know, it was so sure fun to be making records for me. Uh, my first few records that I, you know, I didn't always pay attention to sort of what the engineer was doing and um, uh, what, you know, the ways people, played like i want i remember uh my friend lloyd cole really spent some time with quine um trying to learn like how he did these arpeggiated things using capos and stuff yeah and i didn't i just kind of wish i'd done that more you know i would love if i could have taken lessons from richard would have been great but i just feel like it was osmosis you know when i was a teenager um I was a bass player, first of all, and uh, I had this idea in my thoughts that if I didn't play bass for a little while, a few days or even weeks, that somehow my bass playing would still improve without me having played or done anything. And, and I literally thought once, I was probably, you know, 13, I thought, I wonder if by the time I'm really old, I'll just be able to play like the guitar and play lead guitar, you know, just cause I've just been around it so long. Yeah. What a strange thing to sort of think, <laughs> but it's, it really kind of came to pass that like, I, I'm kind of the age I was thinking it, it was about as old as I could think of at that time I could possibly be. And, uh, and uh, it just kind of came came to pass that way. But yeah, yeah you know, we all uh, stand on the shoulders of giants. Well, we do know that Richard Lloyd, well, at least he used to give lessons. Cause Wayne, if you remember yeah. when we talked with Chris Forsyth, Chris Forsyth. so he, um, <laughs> not to rehash his entire story about how he kind of learned. Um, he, he basically, saw an, uh, an ad at a record store or a guitar store and it said, learn how to play guitar from Richard Lloyd. And he's like, yeah, right. Like this isn't, <laughs> this isn't the Richard Lloyd. And sure enough, he shows up for a lesson and it is Richard Lloyd. It's so, Richard. Yeah. And you know, he's deeply into sort of philosophy and various, um, you know, I hesitate to say religion, but sort of fringy thought uh, 
you know, ideas of, of uh, philosophy. And, and I would imagine if you took lessons from him, he would also be teaching you, you know, how to uh, reach, you know, a state of Zen, Zen or nothingness whatever, yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, he, you know, I love the guy and uh, had a lot of, uh, great times with him and, and he's still with us. Yeah. Still there. Um, all right. Uh, before we jump into the record that you chose, I, I so I, I absolutely love, I already mentioned this, the under the covers records that you do with Susanna. They're so fun and eclectic. Um, the song choices are all over the place, which I love. I mean, you've done covers from beach boys and bread and big star and, I absolutely love your cover of, of Lindsey Buckingham's trouble. Oh yeah. Gives me all the feels. Oh my gosh. It's so great. So, so how did you two choose which songs that you wanted to cover? Like, was there any that, that the other person suggested and you're like, Oh hell no, I'm not singing that song. (laughs) Um, there's only one that comes to mind that, uh, Sue always wanted to do. And I would always kind of politely, decline it was um that song faith by uh george michael okay or was it wham i'm not sure no it's george michael which one it was yeah and uh i could see how it could be cool you know like for her but for some reason i just didn't want to do it and she would kind of ask you know every now and then but you know for the for the most part we would each make lists and then we would get together and kind of compare them and very often, you know, it was like a lot of stuff magically was on, on both our lists. Like yeah. it was kind of like hard to believe we'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you have that. And then occasionally there were things where we just heard a song or thought of a song one day when we were hanging out and just went, you know, God, we should. What would it be like if we tried to do that? You know, and uh, so we did, you know, stick our necks out quite a bit. And there's quite a few things that didn't get released, you know, like I'm pretty sure our version of Jive Talkin's not out there. Oh, because why uh, not? Because Susanna's always asking me, get it. Can't you get out that Jive Talkin session and and do it? So we did we did a lot of different kinds of things, especially in the 70s one, which was in our minds was going to be a double album, quote unquote. And yeah. uh, we did a lot of recording for it up in the 30 some songs and then shout factory at some point lost patience with us. Uh, we were just taking so long. They said, no, it's going to be a single, a single album now. <laughs> and so like a lot of it, you know, that we haven't put out is stuff from that seventies, uh, period. Excellent. We well, talked recently, very recently, about doing a a '90s one, which would be the next decade. Yeah, um, we did three of them um, up through the '80s, so uh, that'll probably happen at some point. I'd say. I love the '80s one. Like, <laughs> it's so it's so good. I mean, any any time somebody does a cover of more than this and and nails it, like. Yeah, I'm already sold. That's yeah, I'm kind of like I'm sitting here. I'm waiting for you to tell me because I'm like the '80s one. What did we do on that? <laughs> uh, more than this is good. I like that song. 
I like that record. You know, a lot of the things we did, like we just really dug that record and we did it a little different way. You know, some people do covers and they're, they try to, you know, make it their own so much as to kind of make it unrecognizable, you know, or do it in a totally different feel or speed or something. We always tried to make our backing tracks like as much like the original record as we could yeah. because we got the most excited singing along with what felt to us like kind of getting in the shoes of the people that originally did it. And I think that helped a lot with those records because a lot of them were uh, a lot of the originals were, were popular because the record was really cool, you know? Uh, and so that kind of worked really well for us uh, as we made our covers records. Well, I think people wouldn't that they they wouldn't forgive you if you you know screwed up. Save it for later, for instance. If you, <laughs> if you made it not sound like the beat, you know that. Yeah, we that really would... tried to tried to make it. Uh, I mean, it was really Rick and I. You know, we would do the drums. Um, just like always on stuff of mine or whatever. And if we got those drums to be kind of in the same vein, then it was, you know, just a matter of me somewhat approximating the, the great players that were on the originals, you know, so I could, you know, I could only kind of do what a lot of them did, but, um, you know, like I said, when they were in the same sort of realm, it it worked a little bit like the original record. Yeah. All right. Well, if you do a 90s record, um, you need to do a Posey song. Okay. Yeah. You okay. got it. Okay. I'm just I throwing, like those guys. I'm just throwing that out there. I love that. <laughs> all right. Uh, Wayne, I've monopolized all of the interview um, section again. Oh, no. It was, it was a joy to listen to. Um, well, let's jump into it. So... Um, Matthew, tell us what record you chose to revisit for your episode. <laughs> I chose the Beatles Revolver. Okay. So so why this one outside of all of the other records and outside of all the other Beatles records? Yeah. Um, well, I love the Beatles. And when I think of, um, also when I'm trying to think of, you know, an album as an album, I, Revolver just kind of came to mind for me. It It's a point in the Beatles where um, I think of it being similar to a lot of music in kind of 1965 and 66 where uh, folk, and folk rock kind of blended with, with rock. Yeah. And it became, you know, more electric. And but it still had kind of a little bit of the feel of kind of the more, uh, you know, partially acoustic records from around that time. And uh, I mean, Revolver, if I'm not mistaken, comes right after uh, Rubber Soul. Is that right? Wayne, you're the resident um, Um, Beatles fan. That neither of us knows this is really yeah bad. right after Rubber Soul yeah I think it was so Rubber Soul is you know a little more of a folk folk record kind of you know and then uh, then they hit this thing where they're coming out of that into this um, some of the first kind of psychedelic sorts of things they did 
And uh, I remember, you know, being uh, a teenager or younger and sitting with that Klaus Vormann album cover, um, you know, looking at it and, and thinking about them. And um, it just, I thought, I know there's lots of stuff I'll like on that, you know? Yeah. So this is um, seventh studio album. Uh, came out in August of 1966. Um, what's interesting about this one is in the U.S., Capitol Records reduced Revolver to 11 songs. Yeah, and that's the one I had, to be okay. fair. Okay. So so do you remember what songs? Let's see. I'm looking at it. So I'm Only Sleeping, Robert, Dr. Robert, and Your Bird Can Sing. Um. Those were omitted from the U.S. version. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, Andrew Burke can sing. Definitely wasn't on it. Yeah, uh, which is amazing. Um, Agreed. Yeah, that that sounds right. What what were the others? Doctor Robert Dr. and Robert. And I'm only, I'm only sleeping. sleeping. Yeah, yeah. I really like. I, I'm only sleeping, and Andrew Burke can sing are right up there. You know, pretty high on my list. So. All John Lennon songs too. All you know, pro- sang by John Lennon and primarily written by John Lennon. Yeah, you know, I really like John. I really kind of related to John the most of all the Beatles. Somehow, um, I mean, you have to have all of them for it to be the Beatles, and yeah, and I and I realized that you know that even the John stuff wouldn't be as great if they weren't all kind of doing it. You know. Yeah, you know, over time I've kind of softened and I mean I I always liked John and I guess my next favorite would be uh George and the, of course Ringo and Paul are amazing so, you know. Yeah, it's they're the total package for sure. <laughs> I'm wondering to Wayne you you brought up that it's all John Lennon songs that were omitted i wonder was there some kind of political stuff because this was around the same time that john would have said the beatles are more popular than jesus so i'm wondering <laughs> if that had which and you know which like i say is the thing that that's factual statement it is i mean when he said that he was absolutely right and i've never understood people getting uh, upset about things like that i've also never understood people taking uh pop new pop music uh, stars and then somehow putting all the world's problems on them. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think it's very likely. I mean, Dr. Robert is, is uh, heavily is at that point, their most overt drug reference. Yeah. Um, so that, that to sense. some degree makes some yeah. sense. Um, we'll get into it. Uh, there's several theories on Enger bird can sing. And, and the, the primary one is that it's taken, it's inspired by, an Esquire magazine article on Frank Sinatra. So Frank Sinatra knows a lot of powerful and dangerous people. Maybe you don't want to, maybe you don't want to poke that bear. <laughs> uh, so there's, it, it could be, but I mean, that was the thing I love about John Lennon is that at this point, I think, and I really think that this is where the tension starts to build between him and Paul McCartney, because you can tell a Paul McCartney song yeah. right away, not just Paul McCartney's voice, but the songs are happy, upbeat love songs. He's, uh, he clearly has a different path than John Lennon's are much more. They're sociopolitical in, in, in a lot of ways They're in many cases, they're heavily influenced by LSD. So they're, 
they're going in different directions and you can see you can this i think this is where it's you can really see the the chasm start to and and, you know george has a couple of really great songs on it so you know, I remember. Oh, he's really, yeah. This is where he really comes yeah, I mean, into I his was, own. I, mean, I remember really, songs. really noticing that. You know, I really, really liked. Uh, you know, I want to tell you, and um, obviously, Taxman is killer. Awesome. <sighs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Just so cool as as a record, as a band, the style of it. You know, really happening. All right. Um, just a couple other things, a bio, and then we'll we'll jump into each of the the, the songs. So this top the charts in the UK for seven weeks was top of the US Billboard albums chart for six weeks. And of course, Wayne, I always bring up the Bill or the uh, Rolling Stone top five hundred albums of all time. So in the 2012 list revolver was number three overall wow wow it's now number 11 yeah. <laughs> so so they just put out another list in 2020 so um so the the three records ahead of revolver so number 10 is the miseducation of lauren hill number nine okay. is blood on the tracks and then number eight is purple mm-hmm. rain Mm. So we could we could debate that all. Hey, they're all good, but like <laughs> they're all good. They're revolver. Yeah. <laughs> now that's a record. Well, and so I was so that that took me in a rabbit hole. So I also wanted to see how the other Beatles records were impacted on the 2020 list. So Sgt. Pepper's was the number one record on the 2012 list. It's now number 24. Ab- I think that's fair. Abbey Road was number fourteen. It's now number five. It's that's the highest. Yeah. That's the highest Beatles record now. Well, it's it's very great. It's great. That's my favorite. Yeah. Um, and then just you can hear, you know, you can hear so much of that they've grown up and kind of the sadness. They know, sort of, it's coming to an end, kind of, yeah. and. And uh, yeah, Abbey Road, you know, is definitely great. But I also really am fond of this kind of middle period. Oh, absolutely! I think yeah, this and Sergeant Pepper's. Um, I think even Rubber Soul. You can see these four kids that started playing Chuck Berry covers have really grown into uh, exceptional songwriters and musicians. So I yeah. I didn't even bring up Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul was number five in the 2012 list. It's now number 35. Wow. It dropped that much. Quite a drop. Yeah. Well, you know, they should all be up there, and that's still pretty high. It is. Out of 500. Yeah, it is. It's still great. All right. Um, let's jump into this. So, so, so as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? On this particular release, fourteen. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go with the the, the full on release. So that means top song is gonna get fourteen points. Next favorite, thirteen points on down to the lowest score of one. So we're gonna kick this off with Taxman. Small. 
So my question for you guys is, so were there any other Beatles records that opened with a George song? Wow. I, I don't believe there are. I don't think there are either. Yeah, I would say I don't think so. And thanks to watching The Crown on Netflix, I now know who Wilson and Heath are. <laughs> yes. And that, I mean, that's a great part of this song, though. I mean, as a, as a song goes, I mean, he he's able to say, because what I like what he says by, by mentioning them both is that it does it, because one is, he mentions Wilson, who is the current uh, prime minister, and yep. then Heath is the leader of the opposition, opposition party, and referencing them both makes it clear that it doesn't matter who's yeah. in power. You're going to have to pay your taxes. They're going to take your money. Yeah. <laughs> I like the pennies on your eyes. Oh, that's thing, the best. Know. That's the most deliciously snarky line I think I've ever. Yeah, I've ever. It's heard. really good. It's very George too. George. So I would say from 2020, the greatest discovery that I made was not any new artist, but it was that I listened to George's discography as a solo artist. And like, I'm in love with George now. Oh yeah. He's great. Sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else on the lyrics? Um, Wayne, do you have got anything else? Yeah, I think, I guess on the lyrics, I mean, uh, Matthew stole my thunder with that. The pennies line is definitely the best, the, the best line in the song. Um, but it's got a great sneer to it that it, that's perfect. And this is one of their earliest topical works. But what I, I guess what really stood out to me is I would as, I would assume that that guitar solo with that real sitar effect on it would have been George Harrison. And from what I read, it was actually Paul McCartney. I think you're uh, right. That sounds familiar. Interesting. All right. Anything on the musicology on this? Mm. I don't know what to say. It's great. Yeah. No, I mean, like I say, this it's, it's not overly complex, but I, like I say, you can, it, this is where George Harrison starts to really definitely. I, and I would think there's another song on here that makes me feel as though he's, he's forcing his way into more of uh, a bigger part, a, a bigger part of this band. Cause at this point, I think it's all almost all Lennon and McCartney. And he's yeah. he's going and he justifiably so is pushing his way in because the the white album has um, as my guitar gently weeps. Um, I mean, Abbey Road had some. I mean, his songs on Abbey Road are just like my lord. Yeah, so he's he's this is where he starts to push his way into the songwriting mix of this band. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, should we get scores, Wayne? What do you got? A twelve. Okay, Matthew. 12. And this is my 13. Wow, we're, we're pretty close. Yeah. This, track, this track's high, just so you yeah. know. Track's high. All right, uh, next song, Eleanor Rigby. Died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came, Father McKenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. And this is this is a Beatles staple, and I'm always I'm always looking at chart position, 
Do you guys realize this was not a top 10 hit? It peaked at number 11. Well, you know, it's a little, a little bit sort of scary or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and in fact, it sort of, sort of goes against the idea that all Paul's stuff was happy and, you know, yeah, I, and I don't know how much of a mix this is on the writing. I know I think one of the things is that had to have affected it is, is that none of the Beatles play an instrument on this. Um, and I know as a when I was younger, I mean, obviously I started hearing the Beatles um, on oldie stations when I was young, like, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. And this was never a song that I liked. Um, and I think it is that string octet. And there's these are this is one of the most visceral descriptions of loneliness and alienation yeah, yeah. and futility that you that you're ever going to hear. But as I've grown older, um, and one of one thing that grew my appreciation for this song was trying to learn it on acoustic guitar because it's it was only two chords, um, and you can you really gain a bigger sense of what of what this song is about with the as when you're older. You can't appreciate it when you're young, and I think the string octet probably did have some, did turn some people off uh, when it was released. Oh, but the sound of those strings is really cool. And it's kind of, it's, it's, it's amazing. A, a classic Beatles thing. I mean, it's just the yeah. way, the same way that not to go back, but the tax man, it's like if the, a drummer in a room and the bass players start jamming on tax man, you know, that is, you know, that's such a Beatles thing when people want to, play like the Beatles, you know, it's always kind of uh, the, those drums and stuff. No. And I really think George Martin, who I, I believe is who arranged the strings absolutely deserves uh, a song credit. Even, I mean, this is so well played. It's almost like an entire symphony in this, in this less than three minute song. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's high points and there's low points and there's just, there's points where the, the hair on my arm stand up. It's, it's extremely beautiful. I mean, you could, if you just the music alone on this, um, is, is it's phenomenal. It's, a, it's yeah, no, it's very school. cool. I've always, I've always thought of it as a Paul song. I guess I don't know if John did much or not. Yeah. And they could, I mean, they credit each other on, together on everything, everything. for I'm sure for license or publishing. Yeah, of but, course. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, some of the lines, the, uh, you know, the, what is it? The sermon that no one will hear. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, and then how the characters tie together when, you know, father McKenzie's, you know, performs her, you know, Eleanor Rigby's funeral service. It's just, it's just yeah. an amazing song. No one was saved. Yeah, some really great lyrics. What do you guys think of the sequencing from a, a little bit of a rocker from Taxman going to Eleanor Rigby? Like, it totally works. But I, I would say that for most artists, they wouldn't be able to get away with that. Yeah, that might not be second. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wonder how it... What? Where is it on the American one? It's second. I think it. I it's say, second I, there too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. All right. Um, do you guys want to know what was um, num- the number one song when Eleanor Rigby peaked at number eleven on October first, nineteen sixty-six? I do. Sure. Cherish by the Association. Oh, Cherish. And that's a nice. Record. And the number ten song that kept Eleanor Rigby from being in the top ten was "Cherry Cherry" by Neil Diamond. 
<laughs> well, yeah. I mean, those are two pretty cool things. So, so. those are those are good songs. Yeah, right. um, they shouldn't feel too bad about that. No. All right, uh, Wayne, your score. Uh, this is my highest score. I give this fourteen. Wow. All right, Matthew, your score. Uh, this was you know down there a little bit for me. It's at five. Is it because you thought it was a Paul song? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of like. Uh, I really like that song for no one. And I kind of felt like they were similar. Okay. Maybe mm. they're not really. Um, but I, I, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but yeah, you are It was right. only because there were so many things that I really liked that I wanted toward the top, you know, yep. I still love Eleanor Rigby. You know, I love all Beatles, you know? Yeah. Yep. All right. This is my 11. All right. Next song is, I feel like I blew it on that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's no right or wrong it, answers. It's all good. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at my scores for a couple of songs right now, and I'm like, I hate my scores for that. Um, All right, so I'm only sleeping. So there are three songs on this album that are going to clock in at three minutes on the button. This is one of them. And those are the longest songs on this record. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, this was one of the three tracks that Capitol Records had um, had uh, deleted from their um, from the, the album. Um even though it's credited as Lennon and McCartney, some things that I read was it's written primarily by John. Yeah. I, I took it as a John song. Yeah. Yeah. Track does include what I read. It, there's a backmasked lead guitar part played by George. And what I read was this was the first time that such a technique had been used on a pop recording. Yeah. Where they uh, flip the tape and, and it's backwards. Yeah. I think that's that's probably true, although someone more knowledgeable than I may know of others. But uh, I think it's the first time in, on a Beatles record, for sure. Yeah, and they do that quite a bit on some up, uh, other upcoming records, for sure, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wayne, what do you got on this one? And I didn't think that added anything to the the song. I felt like that was... Um, hey, look what we we can do and added it. Um, yeah. But I, I am a John Lennon guy. I I like that. I mean, even this song where it may seem as though he's because he was referred by a friend as one of the laziest people they'd ever. I mean, he just laid in bed. He would sleep all day. Um, and I think this is a statement saying, you know, because there's even lines in the song about, you know, I'm I'm lazy. I think you're crazy running everywhere at such a speed. So you find there's no need like he's still productive. I mean, at this point, he is half of the most prolific songwriting team that's ever written songs on this planet. So he's still reading from bed and writing songs and getting things done without 
you know, this hustle and bustle, this running from, from here to there, trying to accomplish all these, these other things. And I thought that he, he did that well. He, like I say, I like, I, my favorite Beatles song has come together. I love, I am the walrus. I like, I like that Lennon stuff when he's, sometimes it can seem almost like it's nonsensical, but if you, if you just listen and kind of let it, let it take you over, it starts to make sense. It's, it's art. Yeah. Um, I dig that whole attitude. You know, I love that, uh, you know, he, even in later years, he would supposedly lay on the bed and play guitar while he watched TV. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of when I, as when I read that about him spending so much time in bed is that, that bed in, in, you know, later in the seventies was, this was tailor made for him. I mean, this was this, how, how much of a, how much of a inconvenience really was that? See, I think I'm really lazy too. And, uh, and I, I do like the lyrics of it. Um, and maybe because I didn't know it as well being from revolver, you know, in the beginning until later on, I got the other version of it. Yeah. Um, it, it rates pretty highly on my scoring. Yeah. Wayne, to your point about the bed in, did you, did you see the documentary? on uh, the making of imagine no i haven't um so yeah he did spend a lot of time in bed during the day but during the night they were cranking out music <laughs> yeah. So. yeah yeah he had he he did become but like i say the best line in the song is keep an eye on the world going by my window taking my time so he's still watching he's still saying that yeah. well while i may it may i may appear lazy I, I'm still the information I need to do my job. I can do from right here. Yeah. Work from home. Yeah, it's all, all the things about sleep are sort of in it. Having dreams, waiting to fall asleep. He's lying there and staring at the ceiling, waiting to feel sleepy. You know. Yeah. Um, I I like when he says, "Don't wake me, don't shake me, <laughs> leave me where I am." It's <laughs> great. Um, even on a song that you know it's not it's not the the heaviest song he ever wrote it i really uh feel the johnness from it yeah. oh yeah absolutely all right this is my 5 matthew your score 9 and wayne uh 7 all right next song is love you too T.O., not the other twos. Um, also a, a three-minute long song sung by George. Um, this is more sitar? Yeah. yeah, this might be the first uh, really Indian-flavored George song. I guess there's some stuff on Rubber yeah, Soul. Yeah, I was going to say Norwegian Wood would have been. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to this song as far as like lyrically goes. And, and I have to admit, 
um, my score is definitely going to reflect that I'm not a big fan of the sitar. Um, <laughs> Wayne, I don't know about wow. you, but that's, that's what dropped it lower for me. Um, and to me, it's not the, I mean, like in Taxman, they kind of put a sitar effect on the guitar and introduce yeah. a little bit of an influence. This to me was too much tabla, too much sitar. It, yeah, it, you know, it, it was like top. trying, yeah, like trying to be in the realm of Indian music. And I, you know, kudos to him for that, but I feel kind of the same way. And partly it's just because his other songs on the record are, are so good, you know? Yeah. And, but lyrically, I do like the song. I mean, cause he, uh, num- there's a, you know, there's that life is so short line, um, that kind of gives it its whole, the whole song, its meaning. But then he, in my opinion, he takes a little poke at organized religion in the last one where there's people standing around who screw you in the ground. They'll fill you in with all their sins. You'll see. So I, I just, I felt like he was, he, he lyrically, I, I like it, but it was, it was an Indian uh, folk song or for, for lack of a better word, the, the overuse of the sitar, it, it wasn't an influence. It was the instrument. And I remember hearing a, a stand-up comedian talk about the bagpipe was actually also an Indian instrument, and they gave that one away. That's how that's how bad the bagpipe is. They kept the sitar. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, Matthew, anything else on Love You Too? Uh, not really. Okay. That's, that, that's pretty much the consensus. All right, this is my two. Wayne? Uh, you know what? And I gave it my one, and I think that's a knee-jerk reaction because I – it should have probably been my number two. Okay. And then and Matthew? I have it at four. Okay. All right. Here, there, and everywhere is next. So beautiful. And I do have to admit, I was listening to this again today and I'm like, I really hate my score for this because this is really a great song and my score doesn't reflect it. Um, This is a McCartney ballad. Uh, What I read, and this is Wayne because we were prepping for an episode about Pet Sounds from the Beach Boys. I read that also. He was inspired, Paul was inspired by God Only Knows um, to do this song. So interesting. Yeah. I knew they loved pet sounds. I read somewhere, you know, that they just, they kind of sat there and played it and they were just like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> um, of course, Brian was having the same experience, you know? Yeah. There was a, the healthy competition. So Brian lays down the gauntlet with pet sounds and then they counter with what, what was the Pepper. next with Sergeant, Sergeant Pepper. Pepper so. so he got his ass handed to him. That's all I can say. Well, I don't know. Pet sounds is pretty, yeah, pretty uh, lasting in its artistic achievement. Um, yeah, and you know this one's high on my list because, and even despite it being a, a very Paul song, it's yeah. just so beautiful and it's so Beatlesy, you know. And it's it's really it's really a sweet one. Like I, I felt like I, 
like it deserved to get a pretty high rating on mine. Yeah. Well, we've been called heartless yeah. bastards before Wayne. Yeah. So. Well, and I feel like Ben, because there's two songs on here that I'm not huge fans of. And then everything else, it's just trying to put it in an order. And I agree. This is a very sweet and sincere love song. And that's really Paul McCartney's wheelhouse. I mean, he definitely yeah. isn't, I wouldn't say that he's refusing to move forward, but he's, he's, his songs seem to have a lot more of kind of what brought, what, you know, it's dance who you, who brought you here. I mean, he has a lot more of that earlier influence in his songs, but his are, and I, I think I mentioned in one of my other notes for another song is I think it's, and I, it's clearly their choice of drugs because Paul was a pot guy. So he's, he's, he's happy. He's, you know, every, you know, good day, sunshine. It's, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, and John Lennon's taking LSD and, and having trips that, can lead into all kinds of weird stuff like in the last track. So I'm just so appreciative that Paul is still out there doing music. Like, I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to listen to McCartney three that came out in December. I love it. Like, I think it's a great album. I mean, it's not, it's not a perfect album, but I just love the fact that he's still with us and making music. Yeah. It's so cool. He's, he's survived and, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think that Lennon also said that this was one of his favorite uh, Beatles records here, there, okay. and everywhere. I think. Oh, I, and I it was one of the wrong. songs on here. It could, I, I want to say it was the, uh, oh, it was the sad one about the breakup song is the one that I think that, but yeah, I, I did read that. I don't think it was this one, but there was the one of the McCartney songs on here that he thought was, that was his favorite McCartney song. I think it was For No One. Yeah, I like that one a lot. All right. Uh, scores. So, Matthew. Uh, I've got it at 11. Okay. And then this is where we piss you off. Um, this <laughs> is <you> my four. <laughs> Wayne, your score. I gave it a four also. Yeah. So, you guys are like, you know, a lot edgier about your thinking on this one. I just went sappy. Yeah, usually I'm not. I usually go the sappy route. It's Wayne who's got the edge and the, the punk sensibilities. But yeah. Well, there you go. I don't know. It just kind <laughs> of, I felt uh, uh, sentimental enough to that I thought it it deserved a high spot. <laughs> All good. Alright, next song, Yellow Submarine. Yellow Submarine Yellow Submarine Yellow Submarine We all And of course, this is a Ringo uh, sung song. Um, every time I listen to Yellow Submarine, now I hear Ross Geller say pivot. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that was John in that little interlude part um, saying Captain, Captain, but it's really I, all I hear is pivot, pivot from Ross Geller from Friends. So, um, <laughs> that's sorry, funny. That's, that's funny. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I quite um, like this one, you know. I re- yeah, it just is. Uh, 
kind of cool, you know, how it's put together. And I like the lyrics. I like sky of blue and sea of green. Yeah. It's and me, the and yellow I know that uh, Paul McCartney, I mean, and this song has a silliness to it. I mean, it was kind of written as a, as a children's story and yeah, only Ringo, yeah. only Ringo can pull this off. He can, he can do this without even, this is like, it was almost, it was tailor made for him. Um, and I know, I think Paul McCartney tried to play it off as there's nothing to it because always, there's always theories of what Beatles songs mean. And I think even if you don't specifically try to mean something, if you just tell a story, I think you're gonna, you're gonna let something slip. And to me, this song has always felt like, cause at this point they're the biggest band in the world. Um, and they, I think had just recently stopped touring behind stuff. I don't know if it was this record or rubber soul, but it's right before this. Yeah. yeah. So, but this, this song always felt to me, especially with some of the lines about, and our friends are all aboard. And as we live a life at e- of ease that, you know, cause they're in this, they're in this thing with their, with their good friends. Um, it's very, it's isolated. They're traveling all over the world and seeing all these amazing, going to all these amazing places, but be, their fame is preventing them from, from getting out and really experiencing any of this. And so there, there's this isolation. And of course it's yellow. It's easy to see. Yellow is also a bright, fun color, but it's, it's not as, it's not as glamorous, I guess, in a way as, as it, as it must seem from the outside. Look at you with the analysis. Yeah. (laughs) This is why I keep him around, Matthew. (laughs) Well, you know, I think there's a time I might've thought of this one as a little more of a throwaway than my score might show. Um, But it it just, it's kind of grown on me over time and, and I love Ringo. So it just kind of came, comes together and works for me. Yeah, it it works for me. I love Ringo. Um, and that probably reflects in my score. So this is my 10. Wayne, what do you got? I, and I agree with everything, both of you. I gave it a five. I think Ringo um, is a, uh, an underrated drummer. I think that people forget, you know what? Pete Best got fired for a reason. It wasn't it wasn't of, of a look or not. Ringo Starr is a phenomenal so drummer. They're like, yeah, we'll take him. This, this band wouldn't be, they, they wouldn't have risen. It's, it's the right place at the right time and the right ingredients. Uh, Ringo Starr so is as, as important to this band as Paul McCartney and John Lennon, even though that may not seem logical. It absolutely is. In my opinion. I totally agree I, with that. I agree. And I think uh, he was the perfect guy to have, sort of the sensitivity and a creative enough approach to sort of follow where they were going in their songs. And there are so many really interesting rhythms from him and, and so many on this album too. Um, I actually gave yellow submarine a seven. Okay. So I rated it highest of all of us. Excellent. Um, No, I gave it a 10. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. (laughs) <laughs> All right, uh, next song, She Said, She Said. She said, you don't understand what I said. I said, no, 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 you're wrong when I was a boy. Everything was right. Everything I said 
And every time I say that, I always want to say she said, he said, but it's no, it's it's, no. Uh, This was the final track recorded during these sessions and not the first song on this album that I think was inspired by LSD, right? Yeah, this was actually a specific trip, though, because I heard that the line, um, I know what it's like to be dead, is something Peter Fonda said at this house they were they were staying they were basically sieged in in beverly hills because once someone found out that the beatles were staying there for blocks it was swarmed i mean people were renting helicopters trying to fly over it the police had a horrible time just trying to keep people out but somehow they got it you know the birds were there um Peter Fondo somehow was there this was even before easy rider and he made a comment during an acid trip and john lennon um, so some of the yeah, so some of these lines of of the re, the rebuttals are from you know you're making me feel like I was never born and and who put all these things in your head I mean those are supposedly actual lines that he said during this whole interaction. Yeah, this one even when I was a young young kid really uh, made an impression on me. It was kind of my first favorite Beatles song on this album. And, you know, kind of still is. I don't know. The, the way it's psychedelic, the real interesting sort of feel to it, um, and almost kind of finger-picking guitar feel, but um, it just was such an interesting combination of stuff. Now, am I right that it ended aside? Yes. Yeah, and see, I had this record on my stereo and I like to play records when I was going to sleep at night. And I, and that's when sort of what the last song on a side kind of always appealed to me um, because like it would be the last one I would hear before I fell asleep. And uh, I was listening to, she said, she said, and it finished and I was falling asleep and my dad came in to my bedroom and said, uh, John Lennon got shot and it was literally just on the news. So I always had this, you know, kind of psychic connection feeling about, about, uh, John and about the Beatles ever after, (laughs) after that night, you know, I mean, it could have been, you know, XTC or something, but it happened to be, you know, that album that I was listening to. So yeah, I think I'm pretty sure I covered this too. I almost want to say it's on, it might've been on a Conan O'Brien album where they, you know, when we went to play on the show, they said, play a cover and then recorded it. And then it ended up, I think it ended up on a recording. If it's the one I'm thinking of, you do have it. I I know it because it's on the Essential Matthew Sweet compilation. Well, there you go. <laughs> but but <laughs> I don't I know? Know where, but I don't know where it came from. So I don't know if it's essential. Maybe it should be called the Essential Two Matthew Sweet song. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> Um, all right. The other thing that I read and and you guys can, can dispute this. I read that Paul is not on this. Yeah. I read the same thing as that they had a a disagreement about the musical arrangement and 
He stormed George out, and the George plays the bass on this. Uh, wow. I on just this. somehow never knew that or forgot it. Um, but, well, there you go. I like John so much. You know, I gravitated <laughs> to the one the without absence Paul. Paul even made it back. <laughs> All right. Uh, scores. So, Matthew. Uh, I've got that uh, at 14. This is top song for Matthew. All right, Wayne. It's a big one for me. Uh, eight. All right, and this is my six, and I hate my score for it. Um, <laughs> all right, so this is where we would flip over the record, and it's Good Day Sunshine. I feel good in a special way. I'm in love, and it's a sunny day. Good day, sunshine. And I have the benefit of seeing scores ahead of time. So um, the fact that you've been saying, well, I'm a, I'm a Paul guy uh, or I'm not a Paul guy, Matthew, um, I think resonates a little bit with your score. Yeah, I just don't think of it. I just think of it as kind of, I don't know. There's something musical about it that I'm just not that into that. I will say this. So let me ask you this, Matthew. Do you like the loving spoonful? Um, I do, but I'm not huge on them. Okay. So McCartney has acknowledged the influence of the loving spoonful on this song. Well, I can see that. Yeah. So, and it's happy. It's a happy song. So it's the, it's the anti Lennon on this record for sure i think yeah definitely yeah i i think this is the the biggest like i say this is where i notice the difference in their illegal drug use is where it really affects their songs <laughs> paul mccartney is, is a weed guy and this is a this is an extreme I, the barrel house piano i'm not it's not that i'm a huge fan of it i think the way he sets it up in the in the verses to lead into it just kind of gives that chorus a bigger punch um Cause, but it is, this is just a fun, happy, I don't even know how you would not smile if this song. Yeah, came on yeah, you're about. right. I'm just a sourpuss or something <laughs> on this one. Um, and, you know, any of them, if we, if we uh, you know, were to put them on right this second, I would go, oh, it's so cool, you know, and start worrying about where I had it. But this one just was one I felt like I could... Uh, Somehow I could do without. I don't know why. All right. Um, so this is my eight. Wayne, your score? A nine. And then my Matthew. Lord, and I have it at one. <laughs> have you not heard okay. the last track on this album? What's that? <laughs> oh, the last track is... Uh... Um, yeah, uh, the last track on this album I like very much, so maybe wow. that starts to explain it. <laughs> it's coming together. All right, it's all coming together. It's all good, man. That's we we, we love the differences. Yeah, all right, absolutely. Next song is "In Your Bird Can Sing." And, and I just mentioned that the differences. Well, we're. 
we're all kind of in agreement that this is uh, this is a great song. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love this Lennon, one. And Lennon is all over this one, of course. Um, and McCartney has even said that he thought that the song was 80-20 to Lennon. Ah. That's, so that was one thing that, oh, I, well. that I read. So If Paul says so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's just something about it. And the way they play the, you know, guitar line and harmony and, you know, it's, it's really cool. I just, again, it just sounds super beatly to me. It's like a great example of them really, uh, sounding great together. Yeah. All right, Wayne, you, you mentioned one of the theories earlier of Frank Sinatra. This is the song that you were referencing. Yeah. And, uh, apparently John had, had read, uh, an article in Esquire, which could actually be the same article that inspired Help Me Make It Through the Night by Chris Christopherson. But, um, and I believe, oh, yeah. uh, so at this time, I, to me, I think that that is at least uh, the most plausible because when you read the lyrics, um, it does, it, I don't know that it's, I think he used it as inspiration because they do the first, specifically the first verse and then the, then the second verse I do think is a reference to Paul McCartney, but then the rest of it is back to, it's almost like, a, it feels like a bigger concept though. It's about, I mean, Frank Sinatra was huge, um, but he was huge with an older generation of people. At one time he was the most popular, you know, singer of the day. Um, and at this point in 66, he's, I think he has a TV show. He's making movies. Um, he's still a very important and powerful person in show business and he doesn't get the Beatles, and the people who listen to Frank Sinatra don't get the Beatles. And John Lennon, I saying, see what you're saying. I don't this care. Is the Beatles, right? Yeah, right, he's just yeah. saying you don't get me. You don't. But at the same time, it's like you're not you're not supposed to get me. Um, but that that time is gone. But I mean, the, apparently, Bird was a re- uh, at least uh, in the Frank Sinatra article was a reference to his penis, and I just thought that was. Uh, I tell you, you've got everything you want, but your bird can't sing. Um, but the way he says at the end, your bird can't swing. Swing definitely reminds me of of Frank Sinatra and the style of music he has. But yeah, I did think that the, second, the second verse was a reference to something Paul McCartney said during some some time when they were all high, and he made some reference to seeing the Seven Wonders. And so that did feel like a little. That did feel like it was directed towards Paul McCartney and how you're not understanding me either. Like I'm, I'm seeing things in a different way, whether it's the, you know, the times and being more in touch with or in tune to what's happening in the world or it's LSD. He's saying, you don't, you're not getting me either. Yeah. Yeah. You, you cool. guys realize that the, the working title for this was, you, you don't, don't get, get. Me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> That's so, interesting. Uh, it's really just hard to believe for me that Sinatra really didn't get the Beatles, you know, you just got to wonder if, I mean, what year was that interview? 65, 66. Yeah. I mean, he just might not have realized yet that, you know, they are very great. Oh, and the thing, and I had, I've just recently watched the documentary on Netflix on Frank Sinatra, who I think I love Frank Sinatra, but um, I don't, I don't think he understood why I think he, there is a, an ego to Frank Sinatra that I could see him not understanding why people want to listen to this and not Frank Sinatra. 
Um, yeah, and totally. I, and, and I love how John Lennon would never say what this song was about, which reminded me of an of a story that I was, I don't know, remember what I was watching, but it was, he wasn't in Elvis's band, but he was one of, he was in Elvis's entourage, so he was always around. And I think Juliet Prowse was Frank Sinatra's girlfriend, and she was in a movie with, I think she was in GI Blues with Elvis Presley and he was fooling around with her and the guys in the entourage and band would say, Hey, they would, they literally would scare Elvis Presley by saying, there's Frank Sinatra because that's how <laughs> powerful Frank Sinatra is and was at that he'll time. Have you, he'll have you whacked for yeah, sure. He knows Sam Giancana. It's not, you know, I wouldn't say what this song is about either. <laughs> right. All right. Um, so this is my 12. Wayne, your score. This is my 13. All right. And Matthew? 13. All right. So See spoiler. something we can all agree on. Yes. Yeah. Spoiler alert. This is our top song. Just barely. Just barely. All right. Uh, next song. For No One. And in her eyes you see nothing. No sign of love behind the tears Cried for no one A love that should have lasted years And Paul McCartney song. Um, What I read was he wrote this in the bathroom of a ski resort while on holiday with his then-girlfriend Jane Asher. And he says, I suspect it was about another argument. So wow. there you go. It's interesting to think about them arguing, you know, you just, I think of the, you know, photos of them together and they're just a couple cute kids kind of, you know, yeah. um, it doesn't make me think of like the tough side of a relationship. Um, this song to me is sort of like an alternative to Eleanor Rigby. For some reason, that's, that's how I thought of it in my okay. scoring. And for some reason, this one uh, just kind of affected me more. Um, it reminds me um, a little bit of uh, She's Leaving Home. Is that the one on on uh, Sergeant Pepper? Is that there what it's called? Go. She's Leaving Home. I'm All looking right right on Sergeant Pepper's. Yeah. She's, leave- she's Leaving Home. Yeah. yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> Pull it together. It's wistful in a sort of a similar way, yeah. but I think it's, you know, it's a little more personal kind of than she's leaving home, which is, you know, the the parents are uh, chiming in, you know, singing certain lines in the song and stuff. But in, in this one, it's just about the two of them, you know? Yeah. Wayne, you got anything on this one? Um, yeah, I'm not particularly happy about my score because I do think that there's, uh, I do like this song. Um, I I think it's a great song. I it, there there is a it's he's got a sincerity that that you can feel. I lo- one of the things I love about this song is the way it ends suddenly when because it, it's talking about this end of a relationship. So I thought that was a nice move to just oh, end yeah. it right, yeah, just cut off unexpectedly. Um, the thing that I think lowers the score for me is the lack of there's no Lennon or Harrison harmonizing on this. It's uh, and I think the harmonies are one of the things that that I like most about the Beatles. And when it's missing, it's noticeable. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't know. Something, this to me was a Paul one that, you know, really uh, kind of appealed to me out of, out of a lot of the, a lot of his songs. Uh, I just like the sound of his voice and maybe I kind of liked that, uh, uh, you know, that it didn't have harmonies and that it was so kind of uh, a little bit sort of lonely, you know? Yeah. It's a little stripped back. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Wayne, your score. I, I gave it a three, but three on revolver is, is a hundred on a lot of other people's records. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. Matthew, your score. Uh, I've got it at six and this is my seven. All right, next song is Dr. Robert. And I will say this since I see scores ahead of time, usually there's at least one song where I see Wayne scores and I go, what in the world are you thinking? Uh, This would be the one for this record. So I'm going to just throw it over to you and you, you let me know, is it because of all the different, um, the different translations of this song, so to speak. And there's, yeah, there's several, I mean, that's one of the most Lots of hot, hot topics is who is it. And Lennon said it was him. Cause he's the one that carried all the drugs on tour and, and listening to it. Um, I can't really confirm that, but some of the things ex- I, I think being a member of the national health excludes any of the American doctors that were, were put on it. Um, but ultimately what I love about this is it has that day tripper, older Beatles style and sound that I, that I really love that it, it's, it's a lot of, but it's in the guitar. Um, yeah. That's a cool sounding track that I, that, that that's, I just like, I love the way this, this one sounds the lyrically it's, I think it's interesting um, because this was, like I say, this was overtly drug related. It's not, I mean, it may have snuck past people, but it, if you're paying attention, this one is about, drugs and getting drugs from whoever Dr. Robert is. Um, and that is interesting to me and funny that they, that, uh, that they would pull that they're the biggest band in the world and they're going against what is going, you know, they're going to want to hear on FM radio. And yeah, that is pretty gutsy of them that yeah. they would, they would refer to drugs at all in their music, you know, given, given how looked down on it was, although not really, people that were just their age, I guess. But. Yeah. So for, for it being cut, being cut from the American version doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, so who is Dr. Robert? Did you, did you figure out the theory? I, I do think that, it, I mean, Lennon wrote the song or the majority of the song. So I, I'm going to at least, not that I always do that with a songwriter, but I'm going to, because the other ones, I mean, he hasn't, he doesn't live in New York and Dr. Robert Fryman, who is, a lot of people believe that it's about um, was a New York doctor to celebrities. And at this point, Lennon still lived in England. Um, So that wouldn't, that wouldn't really tie in. There was a gallery owner, a Robert Fraser, who was always somebody that people went to for drugs. So that does make some, that, that has a little bit more plausibility. There was a dent. Yeah. I've always thought of it as being about a, a real Dr. Feelgood guy. 
Robert Fraser sounds like a pretty good guess to me. Um, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's, there, there were many doctors like that <laughs> at one time, you know? Yeah. The other speculations were Robert Dillon, also mm. known as Bob. <laughs> Robert, Robert Zimmerman. Well, he turned, turned them onto weed, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a Dr. Robert McPhail, which is a fictional character in Aldous Huxley's book, Island, which hmm. I, whatever, I don't get that one. Um, and then the other reference was it actually wasn't a guy named Robert, but it was a guy named John Riley who was a dentist yeah, and dentist. was an acquaintance of John and Cynthia and George and Patty. So, huh. that sounds but, uh, plausible. Yeah, but I think I'm going with you, Wayne. I think I think it's just let's go with John. It was yeah. John's doctor, Robert. The, the guy who's got all the pill bottles is the doctor. Yeah, yeah, on tour yeah. anyway. All right, um, your score, Wayne. I gave it an eleven. It's I can say it's much more for how it sounds and somewhat for the gutsy nature of of even putting it on a record. Okay, all right. This is my least favorite. And then Matthew. Well, I'm sort of ashamed I have it at number two. Um, partly because now I realize how Lennon it is. Um, but I don't know. It just never struck me as a song I cared about a whole lot exactly. I, I agree with the things uh, Wayne's saying. I mean, I did really dig the sound of it and the band on it and and everything. So... You know, I can I can see that you know maybe it it could be worked up the list. Yeah. All right. I want to tell you is next. Wayne, what do you got on? I want to tell you. It's a George song, by the way. Yeah, and and um, I think when you listen to it, the lyrics seem like he's talking about a, a love interest. But when I read them, and I then they sound like much more like they're directed towards Lennon, more so. Yes. But McCartney also. Um, I want to tell you, my head is filled with things to say. Um, when I get near you, the games begin to drag me down. I want to tell you, I feel hung up but I don't know why sometimes I wish I knew you well. I mean, I really reading it and then listening to it again and having listened to it a couple of times over the, over the recent, I, I think he's talking to them and this is, and, and more specifically saying about, you know, he wants a bigger part in this band and that he doesn't always feel like that. Um, and like I say, the piano, which is interesting is I think McCartney's playing, is really the driving force of the song for me. Those guitar flourishes that that Harrison brings in, he, he brings them in far and few between, and it gives him a gives him a bigger punch. Um, and this is some solid tambourine work by John. <laughs> Absolutely, Matthew. What do you got on this one? I have it pretty high because I remember just really really liking it uh, when I first heard the album. Uh, I have it at number eight. Okay. 
Um, Wayne, what's your score? Uh, six. All right. This is my nine. Wow. So, track pretty good. I'm, just I'm pleased. I didn't know what to expect others would yeah. think. Yeah. I like when it has that really discordant kind of part. It's really unusual kind of the that thing. Also very Beatles. Yeah. And very solo George as well. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, that was, and maybe that's, that's the reason for my higher score is that I've just really gotten into George this year. Um, all right. Got to get you into my life. Second to last song. This is, and like I said, this is where I can see the formation of Wings. Like I can see after the Beatles, this has a, a definitely a, a, a future look to it um, and sound. And, and this is the first song that listening to, I, I noticed the bass. It stood out um, on this track. And okay. The thing to me, though, is uh, number one, Ringo can't work a tambourine like John can. That is painfully clear in this song. <laughs> but it feels like a big closing number. I mean, I really, the horns are spectacular. Uh, in fact, there's, I am, I mean, I remember the earth, wind and fire version of this uh, where you really get some horns, but even in this, this rocks, this pop rock song, the horns are done. It's just amazingly, but this has a big closing number feel to it. And so I do think that that had an effect on the score for the next song, but but ultimately, it just yeah. this is where I would have liked to see it end. So, do you guys realize that this was a top ten hit for the Beatles? Oh, I'm, not I'm not surprised, surprised really. Um, In 1976. Oh, post uh, Doc Sergeant Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band movie. So, no, it was on the Rock and Roll Music compilation album that did really wow. well in the mid 70s. That's so wacky. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very strong record, and I I look at my score and I think, why did I not give it more <laughs> credence? You know, um, I guess I just I'm not a huge horn guy, and uh, but you know, it's pretty it's pretty darn good. So this one, I'm a little bit like, how'd you end up down there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you, so this is my top score. And part of it is it's sentimental reasons. My dad was a Paul guy. He didn't like John. So when this song was popular in the mid seventies, this, this got a lot of, of volume turning up in the, in the old Oldsmobile, um, from, from my dad. So, um, sentimental reasons why it's my favorite. All right, Wayne, your score? A 10. Like I say, uh, I, I am a John guy, but you, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. All right. I guess it's going to be these last two. I agree, by the way, with the idea that it's a foreshadowing of Wings. It has that kind of solo McCartney spirit yeah. you know, to it. Um, but I, I woefully underrated it at three. 
I, so this I is love where the, we, the last two songs here, I have a feeling yeah. is where we're going to really. <laughs> I love the fact that we've, we've all said this is a foreshadowing of, of solo stuff because I feel like this last song tomorrow never knows is also a foreshadowing of John Lennon solo stuff. I could see true, that true, true or not true. I don't know. Well, it's, you know, it's psychedelic in such a Beatles way and um, just, you know, interesting creatively and just so different than anything uh, I know of that came before it. Um, it's just yeah. one of those that I always kind of was enamored with. And uh, I guess, you know, I'm a weed person. I've. I had LSD a few times. Um, I think I like weed more, but in terms of uh, this song, you know, it just kind of works for me. Yeah. It does take you on a trip. It's trippy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I was blown away to find out that those, what I thought were seagull sounds is actually the laugh of Paul McCartney sped up. What? Oh, that's that. crazy! I yeah, I read. I read. That's that's what uh, it was. Wikipedia. I'm not. I'm not gonna uh, swear my, on my mother's grave, not. but that is yeah. what I heard. And once I heard that, um, listening to it, I could I could see that being the case. It's just so, I don't know. There's a, it's, it's got an abrasive nature. It's definitely a trip. Um, but I, part of my score is based on that. I really felt like that last song was the way to end it. So then once I get that in my mind, everything's going to suffer afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I think this one to me also has a kinship to she said, she said, I guess they're both acid songs, sort of. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just dig kind of where Lennon's mind was at on these songs. And uh, uh, just to me was an important part of why I liked Revolver. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Wayne, should should I wait for your <laughs> score last? <laughs> no, Matthew, I what's your score? <laughs> uh my score is 10 all right and then wayne i gave this my deuce all right and this is this is my three and that's no indication that i don't like it because i do like it it's a it's a trippy song but there's just so many other good songs i can understand that you know um you know i'm a i was i was and especially early on in my learning Beatles, I was just really a John freak. And if I look yeah. through it, uh, most of my, well, I guess George gets pretty high in there, but you know, those two songs, she said, she said, and tomorrow never knows, you know, might've been kind of my favorite things on the version of uh yeah. revolver that I had, you know? Yep. All right. 
Um, so this is the part where I, I always say, did we cover everything? Did we miss anything? Oh, this one's pretty dense. I mean, there's a lot of studio stuff that I, I don't know that we were, we were able to get all of it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we could be here for five hours. <laughs> at this record. Yeah. I could get on the internet and be bringing in new information the whole time. <laughs> right. And of course it's going to be true. <laughs> it's gotta be probably. Yeah. Usually if you read it somewhere, it's true. <laughs> all right any guesses on well i already told you what number one was um so and your bird can sing which got an average score of 12.66 barely edged out tax man, tax man. Okay. 12.33 which was our second um guesses for number three no we were all over we were all over. i don't know um, tell us all right, Eleanor Rigby, average wow. score of 10. Uh, she said, she said, average score of 9.33 is number four for us. Um, that was mostly Matthew's doing. Um, and then, Yay. yeah, and then um, Gotta Get You Into My Life. That was mostly my doing. That's uh, That rounds out our top five. That's average score of nine. So we tanked um, Tomorrow Never Knows from Matthew. So that's uh, that's okay. You guys yeah. just don't understand. That's true. Probably. Yes, that is part me. of it. And then I want to tell you and Yellow Submarine also both just outside the top five. Yeah. So, hmm. I don't, and I don't know why you guys don't like Ringo. Oh, I love it Ringo. Makes me sad. I'm just kidding. You love Ringo. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Love them. I love them all. Have you guys seen the? Uh, clip that uh peter jackson put together yes i'm so excited for it i mean it just made me so happy to see them you can just tell you know that they really loved each other it really makes makes the end even more poignant kind of you know that feeling that you can get or i get from some of uh abbey road just to see them I mean, I just can't wait to see that thing. It just kind of, uh, it just kind of blew my mind. I, I watched the clip two times in a row. That's how excited I was for it. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then I showed it to anyone else I could. And I, <laughs> anyone I could think of to like text, just anyone. Yep. <laughs> and yep. I'm like, oh my God. Yep. 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 For sure. All right, Matthew, this was a lot of fun. Oh, yes. it was. Wow. It's, uh, it was, uh, it was a uh, pretty, pretty in depth. I didn't know exactly what to expect. And you guys have a really, uh, deep thing going here. Well, we, we hope so. We're music yeah. nerds. So yeah. we, 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 we got we, nothing we else. Yeah. We dive in. So, um, all right. So, so tell people where they can find all the happenings of Matthew sweet. Uh, well, I guess either my Facebook page or, MatthewSweet.com. Uh, new album. You can go also to uh, Omnivore Recordings. Um, but, you know, the Beatles. It's kind of hard to talk about myself after this. <laughs> it's it's all good. All right. Um, all right. Last question I ask all of our guests. Um, so who do you know that I don't know? who should join us on this podcast to revisit one of their favorite records. 
Wow. Uh, you know, maybe Rick Mank, my friend and drummer. The, the drummer, yeah. Long, long time friend. He he uh, is a real, he's really kind of my musical uh, mentor in that he, you know, I tend to not really listen to that much music. Once I started writing a lot and recording a lot, I kind of wanted silence like a lot of the rest of the time (laughs) and rick is the one who's turned me on to so many things over the years and what kinds of reissues come out and um weird bands nobody's heard of that did great songs and he would probably pick uh some cool record it would and i think he would be very knowledgeable all right let's 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 do it let's have rick on that'd be great Rick Mank. All right. Um, as a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com. Of course, all of our happenings on the socials. Um, I'm on, on Twitter at Podcast Records and the Facebook page. Wayne, you're on Instagram where? At Records Revisited Podcast. And then, of course, you can find us on all the podcast platforms and go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So please go support your favorite artists if they're doing any of their live streaming events. Um, Definitely support your favorite musicians. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Maybe one that's called um, Cat's Paw. That's just a great name. I would buy that record just from the name of it. But then I'm a crazy cat man. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. And we are Records Revisited and we are out. 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 <laughs> I jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs>